Koningstein Road in the east to Casitas Gap in the west, and the orange curtain is descended across the Ojai Valley. This is Ojai Talk of the Town. Hi, people. I'm Brett Bradigan, editor of Ojai's Magazines, the quarterly and monthly. Our guests are Stephanie St. James and Cody Creighton of the popular and wildly hilarious Topa Talks podcast. Stay tuned and strap yourselves in. It's going to be a wild ride. Hey, Cody. Hey, Stephanie. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Brett. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's, I've been listening to you guys for a while, and here you are in my space on my podcast. It's been in my, on my mind for a long time. That's awesome. I'm so curious about your podcast. How long have you been doing it? Since the pandemic, that was my dread project. You know, how <laughs> the world's coming to an end. You want to, what was like on your bucket list? Oh, I need to do a podcast. <laughs> the idea was to do like five episodes just as a segment to, you know, like a time uh, capsule yeah. of this m- moment, you know, with the mayor and the school superintendent and the chamber of commerce and the arts community. And then it just, was like, wait a minute, this is great content for the magazine, so let's continue doing it. So now it's like episode 82 or 83. That's impressive. That's a lot of episodes. That's great. Yeah, it's been great fun. I mean, I'm, you guys can talk to that. How, you've been not three years now? Um, I started in March of 2019, so we're coming up on three years. We're almost at 100 episodes. We're so close wow. to 100 episodes. I think we're like three away. Yeah. Oh, my God. Are you doing anything special? I'd like to. Uh, yeah, we always have grand ideas of really cool stuff we want to do. <laughs> Time comes and goes. <laughs> yes, I'm well aware of that. Yeah, yeah, we have a lot of pipe dreams, so then they don't always play out. But, you know, I'd like a party. I'd like a raffle. I'd like a red carpet. None of that's going to happen. A live episode? <laughs> a live episode. Yeah, you know, actually, there's been quite a few people who have proposed us to doing a live episode. And it's hard to imagine exactly what that would look like. I think we'd have to have a pretty spectacular guest, but yeah. it's something we want to do. So if there's any spectacular <laughs> guests listening. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that most of my audience, I look at the stats, you know, from Anchor, which is the hosting platform, and they're granular. They get right down to deal. Like I know that 12% of the listeners aren't in the United States of America. No way. It's like 4% are British. But with the numbers, that means like 10 or 15, 16 people, you know. Yeah, we have some British listeners too. Yeah. (laughs) I have four to six Irish listeners. Hello, Ireland. Hello. (laughs) I'm going to tell a... Irish joke, but not this episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> this I, got, I gotta do my accents and I have to do a Liverpool accent and a Dublin accent. Liverpool is trippy. That accent is trippy. I love a Liverpool accent. Yeah. I was like, hey girl. I don't know. They're or like uh get you before do we go into Merseyside to do nothing we all Well done. That was good. <laughs> Somebody told me it was the worst Liverpool accent they'd ever Were heard. they from Liverpool? No. Oh, then it doesn't count. What do they know? Yeah. I don't even think they were from the north of England, so (laughs) screw them. Exactly. (laughs) So what are some of your favorite episodes? What, what, uh, you know, looking back, that's a lot of content. That's hundred, well, probably well over a hundred hours. You guys do like an hour and a half. (laughs) Well, actually when, when the first year that we did it, we primarily focused on interviewing small business owners and the co-host I had at the time, Melissa Lamb. We were both very similar. just sim- got married. Congratulations, Yes, Melissa. she did. Hey, You're so wedding. sweet. It was a gorgeous wedding in Cincinnati. Um, her and I were similar where we started getting a little bit of anxiety around the 40-minute mark. We started getting a little itchy, like we don't know how long it should be. And so we kept the first year at 45 minutes um, interviews. And with Cody coming on, he really likes to stretch my anxiety to the limit. And so, yeah, we've had some like hour and a half, hour 40 minute podcasts, which have been really fun. Well, the truth is, I don't know how to shut the fuck up. So when I get a mic in my hand, I could talk for hours. I could talk for hours. And so 45 minutes is not going to fly for me. I want to do like yeah, an hour and a half. Just getting warmed up. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. 45 minutes. I just woke up. Let's go. Let's yeah. keep it up. Get yeah. It. I... I You know, Stephanie and Melissa had such a great first season, like she said, interviewing all these small business owners and entrepreneurs and just notable figures in the community. And 
when I got signed on, that was our intention. But then COVID happened two months after I joined on as a co-host. So we, you know, tried to do, we still do guests here and there, but a lot of the time lately, it's just Steph and I, and those, those are some of my favorite episodes personally is when Steph and I are just having a good rhythm, having a good conversation. I've said it on our own podcast a million times, but my favorite thing about doing this is that Stephanie and I were acquaintances and this podcast has really cemented us as like best friend level. I just adore Stephanie and we're really getting to know each other while other people listen. We're hearing yeah. each other's stories for the first time. It's cool. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the fun about the vulnerability and realness of our show is that we don't talk about any of the topics before we press record. We don't flush anything out. We don't make sure each other are comfortable with certain things. Like we just kind of push each other a little bit and see what happens. Yeah. And a lot of it is just sharing information. And a lot of times I come up with a funny idea or something that I'm like, I don't like, or I do like, and I'm like, I want to see Cody's reaction to this because a lot of times he'll play the yeah. devil's advocate or come at it with a different standpoint or think it's also funny and riff on it. So it's a really fun way to just come out with some ideas. And it for me, it's like a comedic journey in a sense. Like yeah. a lot of times I... You guys are very funny. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I come up with a joke or something that I could see on Saturday Night Live or something like <laughs> silly, you know? And I'm like, I want to work through this on the podcast with Cody. And I think why our d- dynamic works really well and why we have such fun chemistry with each other is that a lot of the times we agree on a lot of things, but a lot of the times we have a lot, we have different experiences and viewpoints and we're kind of polar opposite in a lot of ways. And neither of us have ever, if I'm sharing something that Stephanie doesn't agree with or has no experience in, she never makes me feel bad about sharing that. And I think vice versa as well. And it adds, it, it creates a really cool conversation when you don't shut someone down just because you don't agree or you don't have the shared experience and it makes for a really cool conversation and a yeah. hilarious Any recent one. examples you can think of where you might've been at odds or at loggerheads. I think a great episode for anyone in the town to listen to is the episode where we kind of bring about the information about the nest and their posting of supporting um, the recall election. And Cody and I did have different perspectives on it in the, in the beginning, I think of the podcast. And I really wanted to play devil's advocate because I think my journey, especially with the podcast is like understanding and trying to get to a level playing field with people and have conversations where people feel safe and available to express their opinion, whether it be popular or not. Yeah. And it's tricky. It is tricky because it can, especially now in mm-hmm. this climate. Yeah, I mean, every every time we record a podcast, I'm like, am I going to get canceled? (laughs) Like, you know, it's something that we're, and you too, Brett, you're putting something on that can forever be recalled on, you know, something that can. Yes, I know. It's a permanent record. It's a permanent record. And Well, you guys are much, much younger than me, but that was always the threat when you were acting out or smoking pot in the school laboratory. <laughs> it's going on your permanent record. Yeah. Now there's no now such thing really because really, it just... It's it, not an idle threat. No, it is. It exists constantly. And that's what I... Sometimes I talk to my friends. It's hard. I feel like I'm ever changing and my opinions are ever changing and I'm open and I'm flexible. Yet when we're recording the day of, I'm putting something permanent down. Yeah. And I don't so know. you have to tread carefully. <laughs> it doesn't seem like you guys are too cautious. <laughs> I don't think caution is the watchword for your podcast. I agree. I think Stephanie is a little bit more cautious than I am. I I tend to have fun. I like to think I'm more of a jaw dropper and I do it almost intentionally because it's fun. But I stand Provocative. by everything. Provocative. I actually disagree. See here, we're going to disagree. Cody is extremely cautious and has had me edit things out. I actually have edited out more for Cody than I have for myself. Really? You th- you Give me an example. You drop a bomb and then you're like... Thinking, you know what, Stephanie, do you mind like that? Like, <laughs> Give me an oh, example. Mark. No, I think sometimes when you're in the, when we're both in the flow and we're joking a lot, something insensitive can come out in hindsight and you're like, oh, wait, that could really like actually not, ex- it, it doesn't actually represent how I feel in the moment. It just was like we were like joking and being silly and it just slipped out. Like, you're I, right. You're right. Something I'm majorly sensitive about is that I, we joke about it on our podcast. Sometimes I have a hard time getting to the point because. It's really, really important to me that nothing that I say can be misinterpreted or misconstrued, whether it's something that is 
completely outrageous and provocative or something that is really deep and meaningful, I want to stand by it and I want to make sure it's not going to be misconstrued. So if I say something off the cuff that is not actually what I believe, then yeah, I, I would like it edited out, you know? Well, Brett, I, this brings a great question in general for all of us. Do you feel like, how, how much do you feel like the responsibility is it on us to make sure that we're understood correctly? As like the host? Yeah, like as you, you have a podcast. You are in media. I'm sure you've done some writing, maybe, oh, and yeah. making stuff up. That's but my, that's my journey. Journey. So, I still do a lot of writing. Yeah. How this much is, is it our responsibility to make sure that we're not misunderstood? Well, I think it's also <laughs> incumbent upon the listeners to have an open mind as well and not take things out of context or try to twist it around on you. And also to have some space for forgiveness and reconciliation. Yeah, perfectly said. I think, I think you had some fun... Well, you sent us some prep questions that had some fun generational like differences or, you know, pointing out some of that stuff. And I think we're in like the Internet stage of like. You guys are exactly half my age, I believe. (laughs) I'm 61. So if you add up your ages, what does that come out to? We're half your age. No, we are your age if we add them up. (laughs) Like both of ours. (laughs) Like you might still even be younger. I think so. So I think so. Yeah, yeah, we come at things from a very different perspective. And even Ohi issues, I feel probably, you know, I'm uh, a small business owner, so I have a very natural affinity for other small business owners because I know it's it's different. And in my business, I don't have a lot of employees. It's just uh, contributors and freelancers and working in this world where everybody's kind of entrepreneurial and on their own. I love it. I've worked, I was in the military for six years where everything is very structured and, you know, defined and don't draw outside the lines. And then you get into this situation and you just really, somebody comes through for you, then they're part of your squad. And if they don't, they're not. And it's just so much better than, so much better than working in some hidebound organization. Yeah. And I think... I mean, obviously, we're drawn towards it. It's something that I'm extremely drawn towards. Cody has dabbled in small businesses and different kind of ventures forever, as long as I've known you too. So yeah. it's it's definitely something that we value. Always, always working some side hustles. Oh yeah, <laughs> always working some side hustles. But I actually, it's I, it's not my favorite thing in the world. I prefer to clock in and clock out. I'm kind of not. I really admire and respect people that can do the small business gig because. It's so much work. I would rather clock in, clock out, collect those benefits and be done for the day. And that's my personal viewpoint on it. Yeah, there's there's plenty of people like that. And that's great. It takes all kinds of make the economy hum along. Oh, of course. And I'm in this weird, I've been dabbling in this weird line between the two worlds because I'm not ready. I don't, there's something inside me holding me back from like going full fledged with the small business I own. And the comfortability. And speaking of which, which is your small business? Um, you do audio engineering. Yeah, it's called Hand Up Studios. Obviously, it's in Ohio. We help edit and produce and launch podcasts for other people. So there's a lot of scenarios. You've always wanted a podcast. You don't know where to start. It's a scary venture to go out on your own, especially if you have no experience in audio. So we just swoop in and say, make it really easy and help with that and help you get to launch day. And then we edit episodes for people who have long running podcasts that just need an editor and it's X, Y, Z, one, two, three. It's easy. We just edit it and give it back to them. And so we also help produce storylines. Sometimes if people are struggling with like where to go or how to have like constructive interviews or things that flow. So yeah, it's all over the map, but it's something that Obviously, I care a lot about. I have a podcast yeah. and... Well, that's the proof is in the pudding. Right? <laughs> yeah. I always say like almost as a testimonial of people, so many people want to have a podcast these days. And if they're anything like me, I cannot be bothered to do the research to like, I'm looking at the switchboard that we're sitting in front of right now. And I'm like, that's really pretty. That's neat. I have no idea <laughs> what is happening. I have no idea how to do anything. I know how to sit down, talk and leave and... I think that if you're in my boat where you have something to say, you have experiences you'd like to talk about, or you'd like a podcast in general, find Hand Up Studios or someone like Steph that could do all the work for you in this case. (laughs) Yeah, we'll post up uh, some info in the notes. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, another question. um, 
you know, that comes up for me and probably for you, it seems like I've heard you talk about that. What is it that Ojai is missing? Like, can you guys have, now you didn't grow up here, Steph, but Cody, you did. Yeah. Third generation Ojai. Yes. Yeah. Good research. Yes. I'm like third generation Ojai. And Ojai offers so much for what Ojai is about, which is, you know, coming here to be relaxed, to enjoy nature, to connect with the community. We have a lot of that to offer. I wish that there was more. I see my niece and nephews start to grow up and I wish that there was something that they could look forward to for their teen years. I think back to my teen years in Ojai, did a whole lot of nothing but wandering around and going to Casa de Lagos and that was that. There's not too much to do for, for teens and at risk of God, who aren't I'm, skaters. Who I was just going to say. <laughs> yeah, unless you're a skater or an acting kid, there's not a whole lot for you to do in yeah, Ohio. Theater, music. Exactly. Skating, those are the areas where pottery. I mean, pottery. I think I think that's a that's a like a dream of mine, and I think a lot of people share this dream that they wish they would do something with like the bowling alley to make it a cool place for teenagers. I'm such too far gone structurally that building's not <laughs> right. It's gonna have to be demoed. We actually have info on that too. At risk of sounding like really? a square, we're gonna drop some news. Drop on some us. info. Uh, a restaurant's coming soon. Partnered with somebody who already owns a restaurant and partnered with a farm in Upper Ohio, focusing on like pe- pescatarian and fresh food, farm to table. How much are they gonna drop on that? A, that's gnarly buckets because I'm I'm pretty confident that to the reason why that building's been sitting there for so long is because it's technically on a highway, and so you have to do an environmental impact study, which is extremely expensive yeah. because you have to do a traffic study because it's going to obviously be pulling more people in that direction, and so that's like a huge holdup that's been that that property has changed hands a lot of times. Yeah, it's not. Uh, last I knew, it was a lady in uh, New Orleans, Gale. <laughs> very nice, but she couldn't figure out what to do with it. Yeah, and the right. offers she got were just weren't enough to cover even the taxes and stuff on it. So right. it's just really, really tough. But then I heard there was a brewery from uh, somewhere in in uh, like Eagle Rock or somewhere that was doing another outpost. I think it was a younger couple who had done well and they were moving to Ojai because they wanted to raise their kids here. Yeah, and then that did. There's pieces of there's pieces of that story that I can confirm later or deny later. Confirm. Do we need another brewery? And deny. We can. Yeah, exactly. Do we need another Um, brewery? There's another one opening. Of course, there is. He just in uh, the Ohio Quarterly just did a yeah yeah with Jeremy. They just had to check that out because that space is great. I did, and there's a pool table, and they had a barbecue truck on the day that I went, and I love Jeremy (laughs) and I love Elizabeth. I just feel like. You know, let's keep having these breweries, but let's have more. Let's have more. I'm curious, though, like, isn't there something about being a bored teenager? I grew up in a small town that's like, there's just something about like riding your bike around and doing like nothing with your friends and being bored. There's something about that teenage experience that's important. Can I sound lame? Cultivate your imagination. Yeah. I don't want them to cultivate their imagination too much. That's how you get into drugs. (laughs) I don't want my niece and nephews to get into drugs. No, literally, that's where my mind goes. I did a lot of drugs when I was a Yeah. Well, Good for you. I just I, I think of like these my niece and nephews are the world to me, and I just want them to do fun things that don't require wholesome fun things. I don't want to find them in a ditch. I sound like such an old man. They'll never sin a day Get in their life. Get off of my lawn, you damn kids! Literally. Um, I think I struggle a lot with food in this town, and I'm really excited about a couple of places that are coming in to open. To get back to your question, Rory's place is something I've had my eyes on for the last year and a half. They've been kicking up a lot of like interest. They're going to be opening within the next like a month or two. I'm now, pretty sure. Place is that in uh, movie theater? I think it's close to the Playhouse. Yeah, and then there's also Pinion. I don't know if I can pronounce that properly, but Pinion. it's Yes, I've heard of that. Place. Yeah, and I'm really excited. They're going to have wood fire pizzas, bagels, calzones. Super stoked off that. Right around the corner from where I live too. So I'm like, yes, Ooh. walking distance to a calzone. Yeah, I'm interested. Nice. What's your favorite restaurant in Ojai, Brett? That's a good question. I love Nachiola. Mm. I'm probably mispronouncing mm. that. Nachiola. So Nachiola. <laughs> I love the ranch house just because of the ambiance and the food. And Russ. Russ is the best. Cody, come best. on over. Come on, Sit down. Yeah, I love Russ. Russ is the best uh, front of the house guy. Oh, for Ohio. sure. Yeah. People forget how important that is. And that's good at, because you guys are familiar with the service industry in Ohio. And I feel like... Um, 
people complain about service all the time. And part of it, I think, is because the com contrast is with the Ohio Valley Inn, where people get very well trained on, you know, how to, you know, insert yourself into an order without bursting into a, a table, people having an animated conversation, you know, to be socially aware and the distance and everything that goes along with that. And then it isn't going to work like that in other places where they're just struggling to staff up all the time especially now well i have a hot i have a very steaming hot take on that if the rest of the town would stop pricing like the ohio valley inn does maybe the expectation would be a little lower i don't want to pay oh, really? the same amount of money for something that's not at the ohio valley inn without the view without the service experience without so like i that's where i get really frustrated as someone who's been in service for years and years and have worked at said people's place. expectations have been ratcheted up well i think it's because sides. of price i think it's because yeah. of price if you're gonna charge 18 dollars or something then i better get some service and an experience that's worth 18 dollars yeah. and i understand the complications of food costs labor costs i understand that completely but it's just your they cater to the ohio valley and guests instead of the locals and i think that's where we get some turnover and some heartbreak i don't know but if they're catering to the Ohio Valley and guests, then they better step up their yeah. their um, customer service at some of these places because, you know, our economy relies a lot on tourism here in Ohio, and that's no secret. And if these tourists are used to the treatment they get at somewhere like the Ohio Valley and if they go somewhere that is recommended by the Ohio Valley and they get awful service then it's it's a shame, you know what I mean? Can we break that down a little more though? Like what is awful service? And is it actually awful service or is it entitled people that are coming and are like causing yes. wreaking I've havoc across town? I've seen some of the most hysterical, I've uh, known this conversation's coming up. I could read some of the Yelp reviews that I've seen that are just like this one guy was talking about. I don't know that it was a guy. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I think it was a, a masculine <laughs> name on the podcast, but he was talking about uh, this, the the coloring books that some kids had been there before it scattered on the ground. And then he said he was live reviewing and then the waitress comes over and I tell I don't want too many peppercorns on my, my pepper steak. And, <laughs> and they brought them anyway. And I've had peppercorn. I've had steak up in, in the finest restaurants in Paris. And I know that's a definite overuse of peppercorns. Wow. People need to chill the fuck out. That's the other thing is like, I don't know. I have compassion and empathy for restaurants, restaurant workers, all of that. And I can understand all the scenarios. If I get everything within like a pretty understanding, timely manner, I'm like, they killed it. Yeah. <laughs> if I put my food order in, I get it and it's hot. I'm like, you killed it. Everything else is like a consolation prize. I'm like, yeah. I think everybody needs to have a job in the service industry at least once in their life. I think that everybody needs to pay their dues and I think it would make the world a better place and, and people would be more less compassionate. more compassionate, especially nowadays. I mean, come on, people. I feel like, okay, so Germany has that policy, right? You have to do two years in the service or two years of like... Um, Is that true? I thought that was Switzerland. Oh, was I always Maybe thought it was Germany. Like two years in the service. I'm a big supporter of that, or, by the way. I think everybody should do two years in the military, if, regardless of your social standing, because it's like the only thing that brings people together from all walks of life. Yeah, and they have the option if you don't want to go into the service, you can do um, volunteer work for two years, like up through a program, which is great. But I think we should have two years of serving. like Serve your country, yeah. <laughs> have a common cause. I mean, like serving tables. I don't believe okay, in like well, the mega like um, the industrial, industrial complex, complex that we have here. But if you yeah. rather have a, a restaurant complex, I'll be serving you the country by serving them meals. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I know a lot of a lot of people that go through the you know the culinary arts training in the military. I was in the Air Force, which has great food. I mean, compared to <laughs> nice. what, having to feed. 10,000 people a day. Yeah. You know? What was the food in the Air Force? Like peanuts? Like what did they offer you? Like oh, airplane man. food? Oh, man. You know, Pretzels. They'd have strip steaks and wow. shrimp on Fridays. And, you know, it wasn't just, you know, buckets of glop like the Army and the yeah. Navy. The Navy's the worst. Well, you've sold me. I'm in it for the food. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, free well, movie, free my, food. <laughs> everybody in my family was in the service. Most four of my siblings, well, including myself, four out of six. My dad was spent 11 or 12 years in the Army Air Corps and then the wow. Air Force. He told me to go into the Air Force. My brothers went into the Army. Is that something you felt you had to do? 
Well, I grew up in a very poor small town, not too dissimilar from yours, in western New York and Chautauqua County. And there was no college path or ladder. If you were to go to college, you went through the service to get your either your GI Bill or whatever. They didn't have that after, you know, post-Vietnam when I came through. But I just feel that that opportunity to get together, it's the most integrated culture in America is the, is the service. I mean, it's like you know, 40% white or 50% white, and you're dealing with Dominicans and Puerto Ricans. And, you know, you realize that when people say Hispanic culture, like if you've been in the service, you go, well, what does that mean exactly? Like, you know, there's a whole different caste system of, of Hispanic culture that goes along and Caribbean and and people from Guam and yeah. the American Samoa that come into the service. It's like, it's really amazing. The melting pot. So I, I'm curious because your experience of being poor, growing up poor, is a huge gateway to service, obviously. And that's yeah, something they, the only way out and that's something they use to their advantage. And some oh, people can, can lean on it. yeah, so some people could see that. You know, it was a positive experience for you, which I'm obviously like thrilled. Not all yeah. positive. I mean, plus you, it's the rosy hue of memory. Right, of course. Uh, distance always helps, right? Yeah. But um, it's definitely a way that our government kind of feeds off of, you know, that opportunity, which can be looked at as like not great. That's true. It is. I'm just curious uh, what the take is because, you know. Oh, I'm, yeah. a, I'm not a pro. I'm not a, a belligerent, bellicose person. <laughs> you don't seem like peace it. Of, <laughs> peace and loving awareness. No, yeah. Yeah, that's the vibe you put off, Brett. So. Oh, thank you so very much. <laughs> Speaking of vibe, um, you guys talk a lot about pop culture, and I'm a big, big fan, but we probably have different uh, takes on things. Yeah. Like, for example, I don't know if you ever heard this podcast, Who Weekly? No. I haven't. But it's very much like how you guys come off. You gotta listen to it, and that's all it is: is hot takes on the Real Housewives. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> and yeah. so what's your hot take on the Real Housewives? Oh well, the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills is the only one that I'm really up on. Are, are you? Did you watch the reunion the other night? I watched the first of like four. It's reunion it's, month. It's four. But it's, it's a like four I week feel thing. like they're letting Erica get off easy. It's starting <laughs> to really bother me. Brett, I'd like to take you out for a drink and just talk about this because I I am so impressed that you watched this. I didn't see that. That's in not very impressive. I am impressed. You should be dismayed. No, I am impressed. I don't think there's any shame in enjoying. Do you, think, no, do you think Erica, Erica was aware? Obviously, no, knew that that twenty million was. I love put this. In there. How could she not? Well, she it? had to know. You got to know. She said in her in her memoir, she said that she does her own taxes in her memoir. She like put out like three or yeah, four years she's ago. Incriminating herself. Oh, she's time. incriminating herself. It's just outrageous. Can I go through the Real Housewives and just say yes or no? I'm always fascinated. Just for Beverly Hills. Okay, just just um, for your personal you take. Whether you yes. enjoy, how about this? Whether you enjoy watching them or not. Okay, you're gonna. Talk about the individual cast Crystal members. Minkoff. Pardon? Crystal Minkoff. Oh, the the new one. The new one. I Who's, think she hasn't really found her place yet. I so like is that it a she's, no? <laughs> she's going to have a good a, second season. That's a not certain. Okay. How about Dorit? I have... I love PK. I think he's the most amazing. He's, in, he's funny. Yeah, he's... Well, he you know, has this trophy wife and he's like this short little fat guy from Essex. Yes. And how could you not like him? Well, Dorit that? truly looks like a Barbie and I think she takes pride on the fact that she does. And I yes. I think she loves him. I think that they have a genuine love, don't you? I do. I've come to accept that. It's obviously started as an arrangement. Started right. As of an course. Arrangement. Yeah. She's, a, she's a character. How about Kyle Richards? I like Kyle. I, some, I know somebody who knows her husband. He does business oh, with him. Mauricio, that Mauricio. handsome devil. He's yeah. a, he's the most handsome Real Housewives husband. But he's a bit of an operator. Oh, really? Didn't they have some kind of a dispute with him and um, the Hiltons? Oh, yeah. that's Well, that's what caused oh, the yeah, rift yeah. between Kyle and Kathy Hilton's yeah, sisters. Right. Yeah, Paris Hilton's mom. He stole some business and started... This is put doing it for studio. me. This is doing it for me. So Stephanie doesn't watch it, but she's very supportive of my lifestyle, which is watching do it. Want, uh, do you watch the Salt Lake City Housewives? I've heard that's good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Get into it, is it, Brett. Wor- is it it's, they're on their second season. They are such a good cast, and there is also legal trouble, similar to Erica Girardi, where there there's a woman on it named Jen Shaw, and 
she during filming on this season that they're airing gets busted by the feds for running a um, telemarketing scheme. Oh yeah. This is notoriously Utah related because they're the, it's like the home base of all the multi-levy marketing scams in America. Oh my, did you watch Lula rich that documentary series? It was about MLM and pyramid schemes and, it was about a, um, it's on Amazon Prime. and I, Christian <laughs> prosperity gospel stuff. Mormon. And it is, it's these leggings. Maybe you've heard of these parties that primarily women were having of like leggings and, and all these fancy patterns. And it's a, it was a huge, I encourage you to watch it if you have Amazon Prime. It was really fascinating, actually. Yeah. Are there more housewives we have to get through? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh Garcelle. How about Garcelle? Oh, I think she's great. I think she's got she keeps it real. personality. She yeah. keeps it absolutely real. I feel like she's a bit, uh, you know, she's getting, they kind of gang up on her a little bit, I feel like. Oh, absolutely. Like she said, she does her, she, she says, you know, she says she's the first black housewife on Beverly Hills. And she says that, you know, she never feels like she quite fit. She doesn't feel like she fits in. And um, I think that that's kind of apparent is that they don't really, they don't really welcome her in the way that they welcome other housewives that have joined. Also, how important of that experience to show on screen? Because how many black women feel like that every day? We know all that. Yeah, that's good. It's actually like really. Okay, this is what it's like for us. Come into a room and be the only person of color and to have people not know how to act or be stilted or be evasive or overly effusive, which is probably just as discomforting. 100%. Well, she says on an episode, she asks the women, she says, have you ever been in a situation where you are in a room and you feel like you don't belong? And Kathy Hilton, Paris Hilton's mom says, yes. And she said, well, try feeling like that everywhere you go. Or try oh, feeling yeah, that like was that every on day. one of recent episodes. That was really powerful. That was really good for her to say. And I think it's amazing because housewives have those housewives franchises. They have all these different cities across America and in the world now. And notoriously for the past however many years they've been on, it's been primarily white casted. And only, except for Atlanta. Except for Atlanta, which is also kind of problematic, in my mm-hmm. opinion, because they put all Black women in one city to to film with, and it felt like it was a niche corner of the Housewives franchise market. And now they're really adding more Asian Americans, they're adding Black people, they're adding people of color, they're just... Mormons. Mormons, well, Salt Lake City, they're all Mormon. And they that's, that's you know, being Mormon is not a personality trait, I hate to tell you this, but they act like it on that show. Well... I could argue with that, but that's okay. Well, I'm one- fascinated by Mormons because that's not far from where I grew up, where that uh, every weird religion in America started <laughs> in Western New York. <laughs> yeah. Really? The Shakers and the Oneida community and the Amanas and the, the Quakers. Mormons. <laughs> not, well, the Quakers, they came from England, but, you know... There's a lot of Quakers there too. Yeah. I guess I the get a kick out of it because I'm so separated from that kind of lifestyle and culture that when I watch it, they, you know, say, I hope this isn't embarrassing because I'm a Mormon. I think, why is it embarrassing they're having a cocktail? But I'm so separated and removed from the lifestyle that that could be seen as shameful that it doesn't, it hits different for me, you know? But well, it's, it's fascinating. There's all different kinds of Mormons. I don't know if you come across that book, Educated, the Tara Westover memoir. Mm-mm. But her parents had a junkyard and it was like the most unsafe place you could imagine. And her dad was this end days fundamentalist expecting the end of the world and they had to hoard and ready to go and it was just like her brothers beat up on her all the time it was really a horrifying and she managed to escape through the help of her uh, grandmother i think mostly that provided a refuge where she could read books and dream of bigger dreams and she got to princeton and is having a brilliant career but the escape velocity to get out of that weirdness Really, really hard. Yeah, it reminds me of Scientology, which now has a building in Ventura County, which Careful. is less than and, ideal. Uh, Barry Hagman's <laughs> old place is now a celebrity rehab center. Is it? Mm-hmm. Is it? Have you ever been up there? On uh... no, I have not needed to check in yet. No, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not quite a list. I'm not quite a list. How? Yeah, oh, what list do they? Sutton Strachey. Oh, what do you think of Sutton? Oh my God, Team Sutton. Now. Are you on just, Team Sutton? Because she calls Erica it. out. Yes, and everyone else is so afraid of Erica. Not Sutton. I wish she would just like 
you know, you come at me, you're gonna come. At, okay, let's do it. I wish they'd just throw down. Right, Erica. <laughs> Erica is so intense, isn't she? Or what? She's a bully. Or what? She's so intense and Sutton and she talks does like like this. She's got this husky voice. I kind of she's like that. Like, I think she's a drag queen in a impersonation. Well, she is a drag queen in her own right because she's Erica Girardi, who is now divorcing from famous LA attorney Tom Girardi, who was involved in the um, Aaron Brockovich cases. He's that's where all this for people who don't watch the show, but she has this character, Erica Jane, that's this pop star, salacious, sexy, sex symbol. And she starts getting this voice when she's Erica Jane. And then when she's Erica Girardi, she's like, my husband, I had no idea what he was doing. Yeah. It's yeah, intense. Right. Yeah. There's uh, she's quite the character. Last, last but not least, <laughs> yes. Lisa Rinna. Yeah, Lisa is a little pot stirrer, isn't she? Always stirring up the shit. Yeah, she is. Do a we pot need stirrer. that though? Right? We need we need someone to do that. It's oh, getting yeah, overboard. I think, it's like, I think that show is about fifty five percent casted or, or scripted. <laughs> it's very produced. Yeah, sure, of course. So you can't really tell what's going on. I do miss Denise Richards because she was easy to mock. She was high all the time. Easy to mock. She was always drinking tequila. She's always stoned. But it just makes Charlie Sheen seem like... She makes Charlie Sheen seem like a sympathetic character. Right. Hilarious. It it made her husband come across odd, though. Her new husband, Aaron, was very strange. Yeah, wasn't he some kind of a cock shaman? He was like a cock shaman, and he was—he thought Big Pharma was after him. Hearing Brett say cock shaman, just like, I, this interview's the best interview we've ever, ever done. Oh, no. That's going to get endlessly circulated now. <laughs> bring well, it on. Make there's it a much gift. overlap in our audience, so... There Let's bring it. Let's there's bring about it. to be. <laughs> so, um, you talk a lot about, the, you know, woke culture issues, and I don't want to put that down, but it is like, I'm trying to figure my way through this because... You know, when, back in the 80s, there was this great book about the Chinese Cultural Revolution written by somebody who had gone through it. And I don't know why this brings to mind, like, we're nowhere near the level of what was going on back then. And this is in the China in the 60s. But these students, like, you know, it was Mao trying to reinvigorate the culture through the, you know, the revolutionary fever that, you know, the Communist Party had back in the 30s and 40s when they were fighting the Japanese and, the, you know, the right wing Chinese, you know, Chiang Kai-shek. And then, you know, then they took over the country in 1949. It was very clever, but there was that unity and solidarity they had that they were missing. So he just like tried to turn everything up and you all become revolutionary. So what happened is the teachers, you know, tried to do this. The students basically revolted and just it was just the scenes of torture and mayhem and the murders and everything that went on it got completely lawless for a couple years got way out of hand from what Mao could imagine he had to bring the military in but the military was also going through where the you know the enlisted men were going after the officers and so forth and it was like a really tumultuous time and I, I see some of that you know um, you know going on with the way you know, in a metaphorical sense where people are being mow-mowed right out of culture and vanished and so forth. And I think about, like, we were talking about this the other day. Eric Clapton and Van Morrison are getting in trouble for being such anti-vaxxers. And is that, what does that mean? Does that mean we can't listen to Eric Clapton music anymore? I hope not. I love Eric Clapton. But I can see, like, we go with, like, Woody Allen. That's a completely different story. Is that, like, we can't... Is that the fruit of the poison tree now with Woody Allen? Well, Woody Allen, I think, is... Well, here's what. I think that a lot of it comes down to personal experiences that you, as a consumer of media and of people and who you want to support. And as Stephanie always says, that we vote with our dollars. And so... It comes down to our personal experiences and and your values and your beliefs of who you'd like to continue to support, who you'd like to forgive, and who you'd like to just no longer deal with. I would not watch another Woody Allen movie probably ever again because I think what were he, you a fan before all no this <laughs> <grabbing>? <laughs> well, not necessarily I was never never necess- I was not a fan of his but then there's people where you know I just I think it comes down to personal experience I think. It, it really depends, you know. I think that if you're going to do the the crime, you got to do the time. But that's in the court of public opinion. It, it gets a little 
the blinds get blurred as to as to all that you know yeah. what well do you i think? look at like louis ck is a good example that you know he was doing some pretty heinous stuff but he's also very funny and obviously weird and disturbed and people that know louis closely they want to get him back <laughs> into the fold and right. what's it going to take what's the redemption tour for somebody like louis ck it was a maybe not anywhere near as heinous as woody allen um, I think that this has been going on culturally forever. Louis Armstrong beat his wives and everyone celebrated his music. It's it's not something new necessarily. I think what's new is really trying to decide whether or not we can separate the art from the artist and what that means to our own beliefs and our own values and how that plays a role in how we view the world and ourselves. And I think that question is becoming really important with these things. And I haven't figured out the right answer to any of it either, but I think without punishment, it's almost like, and punishment's hard because the level of punishment that's happening on the internet right now is life altering, life ending, career ending, money stopping, outcasting, pushing away, right? And that's a powerful tool that can should be used on certain people for sure. Yeah, but then there's certain people that seem to be immune to it that are just on that and that's that's culturally and society saying we're okay with it almost you know like that person can get away with it and sometimes when you look at that too there's socioeconomic social justice racial issues with that as well you know um i'm a huge i grew up as a raiders fan and there's like a huge controversy going on right now with with john gruden yeah, and he was a coach when I was a child, and he's just come back and started coaching. And it was like uh, the fans definitely welcomed him back with like open arms, and we were super yeah. excited to have him back and that legacy. And for him, I mean, here's the thing that's I'm not surprised at all that John Gruden's racist. And the fact that he came out and said that he doesn't have a sliver of racism in his body, that was like one of his responses, is so tone deaf and so ignorant in my opinion to be a white man that's successful in sports and to not be aware that you're racist by proxy that like just i'm racist everyone's racist like the fact that some that we're even aware of race makes us racist well it's just a racialist yes especially like as a white woman i'm not afraid to admit that i've been raised in like a racist society with things that benefit me more than others. Like that's something I can be aware of and work against for the rest of my life. And I think that's where woke culture comes up. If we want to like bring that home is that woke culture for me is like questioning everything and who does it benefit and why is it benefiting someone and does it benefit like the whole population and just continuously questioning. So you're more interested in the fairness and the equitable distribution parts of the Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, with John Gruden, like, sending those emails, first of all, like, when are people going to get it through their fucking heads? You can't. <laughs> and this wasn't that long ago. These weren't things that were no. dredged up from 30 years ago in no. his past. These are things that he did in the last couple of years. Yeah. Just, I mean, and there's really going to be outrageous. a huge fallout because the NFL is now requesting all 650,000 emails that they went through. And, like, John Gruden's just the, the tip, tip of, of the iceberg. iceberg on this. And it's really sad that I, it's just really sad that that black and like people of color and just like those sports people. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's just clearly like there's so much to be done still. And Especially that's, when you like look up to someone like a coach like that. And then you see that, you know, that, I don't know. I, I like, I always really, for instance, I really love Kevin Hart and I thought he's hilarious and I love watching his comedy specials and everything. And then a couple of years ago, tweets resurfaced that, and I'm going to paraphrase them of course, but tweets resurfacing if he said, like, if my son's a faggot, I'm going to kick his ass. And all these extremely harshly homophobic, not jokes, like they weren't, there's not a drop of irony or or humor within them. It was just no, nasty. Was just- and I haven't forgiven him. And again, and a lot of people have, he's still, he is spokes. He's spokesman for a lot of companies, and he's on and commercials right now. He's on commercials everywhere. People yeah, have he forgiven didn't quite him. Get canceled. He just lost the gig for the Oscars, <laughs> which probably he was better off not doing anything. Well, the question right. too is when it's like 15 years ago, is there redemption for that? Do you find redemption opportunity? Yeah, I think that there's redemption in that. I guess it 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 
has to do with how you you get that redemption and how you do make it better. Him going on the Ellen DeGeneres show and saying, sorry, she tweeted that doesn't really do it for me personally. But then again, I don't know what would do it. Sure. I don't know what would do it for me though. I have such a bad taste in my mouth with him where I'm just like, "Eh, I don't, I, why, why give him any of my attention? What about uh, JK Rowling with her anti-trans? Oh, I'm done with that. I, she's not gonna well I, she doesn't seem to have any remorse it just lacks complete and total compassion and empathy for people and that's where I'm like I'm out like she's lacking the she's lacking compassion for the experience of the trans person and like I, that for me like I'm done and exactly no remorse it's a it's definitely disappointing yeah it's I mean everybody's prone to misspeak or to come across incorrectly. And she seems to stand by everything that she said about that. So again, why, why support that? If you're passionate about um, validating the experience of the trans community and supporting them to be more comfortable in society and less alienated, she's not helping. And what's a shame is that she created such a fantastical world with her writing and her movies. And it really, you know, it really touched a lot of people growing up, including so many people in the trans community where it's this school for people who are a little bit different. Oddballs and misfits. Oddballs and misfits. And what a shame, what a shame that is. Yeah, it must feel for somebody who's trans or struggling with their gender identity to be just like a betrayal. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Well, it also just like weaponizes the internet against trans people for people who agree with jk rowling i think the impact isn't necessarily jk rowling's words themselves it's how people use them against if that makes sense like the efficacy like that she gave to their prejudices and their their exactly it it, it almost says it's okay that you feel this way because i feel this way you know it's it's an allowance but i think i sent you in the notes a little bit like when i was growing up and there was a lot of uh you know i grew up next to an indian reservation and the indian cultures had a very open hearted view of gender differences. And I'm fascinated by that because this is all changing so fast, but it's not necessarily new. Like the Ojibwas had two spirits or people who were trans that, you know, they would go back and forth in their identities and it was, you know, gave them great power, like within their community. Yeah. I, that's nothing new. I think the people standing in their power is new. And I think having support is new. And I think that, um, I think that's where that comes from. But there's, you know, gender identity, sexuality, none of it's new. It's just better understood. And my favorite quote that I say a million times is, my Angela, when you know better, you do better. And I think that now we're all starting to know better and it speaks volumes when you refuse to do better. Yeah, I feel that's kind of the state. Do you know um, the Frederick the Great story? Are you familiar with him at all? No. Well, he's an interesting fellow. And I'm just thinking about this, and maybe I'm not going to get it exactly right. But, you know, he was third or fourth in the birth order. He had two older brothers, and they died fairly young. So he became the heir to the throne. But his father hated him because he was a sissy. He was very effeminate. Mm -hmm. And he loved to dance in costumes, and he read philosophy and did all this (laughs) stuff. And he had had a couple of situations where he was caught in the act. And the first one they sent his, it was the king's page, so the king couldn't, couldn't you know, do much with him. So he sent him off to some military outpost. The next one was another officer in the army. <clears throat> and uh, Frederick the Great's dad, who was the king of Prussia, made him witness this guy being beheaded. Oh, my uh, God. His, that's awful. You know, his lover, his love right. of his life. It was like, that's, uh, you know, he's like 18 or 19 years old at the time. His dad threw him in a dungeon. He was going to figure out how to get his younger brother to the the throne. And the uh, Holy Roman Emperor and the Pope wouldn't let it happen. And he was going to do it anyway. But then he died. And Frederick the Great became the the king of Prussia. And 50 years, he was the most amazing... So I feel when you talk about, you know, the bringing the gender identities together, that's the guy right there. Wow. <laughs> and it sounds archaic and savage, that story, but it's still happening around the world. It's also, In Muslim countries. Yeah. And I don't really Russia. want to get into that. I'm no. not going to post up any cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad. No. <laughs> it's also just like uh, all our differences and uh, different worldviews and stuff 
like reality is so constructed and created in a in a small bubble of our own life experiences. And so to get angry or upset or frustrated with someone that's different than you is kind of it's like the unconscious, you know, trying to like just dis- think there's a bit of projection in most of that hatred. Like people see bits of themselves that they are uncomfortable oh, 100%. with. Toxic masculinity. That's where it stems from. That's where it stems from is that men normally are raised to believe they have to be a certain way. And when they see anything within themselves that contradicts that, where they could be punished or alienated or outcast for it, and they see someone else rocking that shit and enjoying their life how, the way that they would like to, but it's frowned upon in their upbringing. That's where a lot of hatred comes from. Absolutely. Yeah. I had a friend who's like talking about, oh, you mean you either love gays or you are one? And I was like, yeah, maybe there's something to that. What? Wait. What no, he's talking mean? about, uh, and, you know, homophobia. This yeah. is back in the 90s. Oh, um, I get what you're and saying. And it was like, <laughs> I don't get it. this is a Bobcat Goldthwait routine from a long time okay. ago. I get it. That's good. And that's like basically what he's saying. People who are homophobic are usually probably gay. have some some of that in them. That You're either cool a, with it or yeah, you are gay. I get that. Okay, I get it. I'm a little slow. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard. It is hard, and the work goes on. The work goes on. The work does go that's what on. It's all about, and I think the conditioning and stuff, like just as a as a woman, like my my. Um, what do you call it? Experience being in like a professional setting and being a woman and being a professional setting is very masculine and very masculine dominated. Not, not to say that like, there's not a lot of women that I was working with, but like, you know, the vibe is masculine. And so to be someone that's like, so I'm very in tune with my emotions and very emotional and very like feminine and like, okay with that. And to feel like the differences and the, and like projections from other people when I was emotional, like I could just, I think I can kind of like, connect to the point of just being like I don't know how to explain it I'm like on a rant but yeah well I know for me like I'm you know always been attracted to very girly girls and polka dots and the you know the wiggling walks and the giggling talks <laughs> but it didn't work out so well for me I've been you know goodness gracious two bad marriages and almost a third and a fourth and hey, yeah. <laughs> so I think that you got to develop that parts of yourself. You can't go out into the world thinking you're going to find, you know, your twin flame or whatever that's going to make you complete. No. You yeah. have to develop those parts of yourself. You have to come together with a partner complete in in yourselves to be complete with each other. And if you're looking to match up missing parts of your identity in some other person, it's just not going to work for either one of you. That's yeah, 100%. And I think my point to what Cody was saying was like men are, and you were saying it was like men are raised with like, you can do this and you can't do this. And women get to be like a little more emotional, a little more self-expressive, a little more like whatever. And then when you get into a situation where it's not as accepted, like in a professional setting, it's like a identity crisis almost where you're like, yeah. what but am I, I allowed to do? I think it's getting feel? better. I mean, probably the most, you know, my favorite world leader of the last like 20 years is Angela Merkel. Oh, because yes, she Germany, to, right? She has to take care of so many horrible egos just to get through her day. Because these men that get to the top ranks are all malignant narcissists. <laughs> and then she has to manage them. Like, there's a great story, and I'm pro- probably not going to get it exactly right, but something to the fact that there's like a big summit meeting with Putin, and he brought his. German shepherds into the meeting because he knew that Angela Merkel had been bitten by a pack of dogs when she was a kid and he knew <laughs> she was cool. <laughs> Is Can anyone surprised? But she like Putin. she shivered for a second and then proceeded like nothing was amiss. And it With just grace. made and it just made Vladimir Putin look like an asshole. That's the perfect to do. way to play it. You know, I don't know. When she she must have to deal with the craziest egos of all time, and so that probably doesn't even phase her anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Have you she seen Icarus? It like a boss. 
Oh, the uh, documentary about the, uh, the Russian doping, uh, scandal? doping program. Wow. I love wow. that movie because wow. it started out as one thing and became something completely different. Yeah, you want to not like Vladimir Putin even What's more. It's so good. It's on Netflix. Okay, it like won an Oscar, it. I'm pretty sure. It was sure. an Oscar winning documentary. Yeah. I'm out of touch with all the important pop culture things. Are you? No, like you got Diana. The, and I lit up Real, Real Housewives and I'm like, oh, that an Academy Award winning documentary. Never heard of it. Missed it. Well, I think I've recommended this movie at least on the last four or five podcasts. And I will do it on this one is Nick Cage movie Pig. It's a first time director. And it's about I'm not going to give too much away, but it's a. Kind of a, a journey of him trying to get his truffle pig back. His truffle pig was kidnapped. <laughs> and he's just oh, no. trying to get his truffle pig back. Uh-huh. But it's like this real moving meditation on grief and loss. Aww. And Nick Cage, if he's in the right script, there's no one else like him. He does. He's one of those guys that owes so much money in taxes, he'll take any old freaking job yeah. that comes along. <laughs> and he makes everything better. But this movie is just like built for him. That's cool when you see actors in the right roles. Like you said, when they, you, there's, it's obvious when actors take jobs because they gotta, and it's just kind of like poor writing, poor directing, kind of cringy, you know? And they're trying to, you know, make it seem like a big deal because they got a star in it. You know, there's an actor in Ohio, I won't name drop, but there's an actor in Ohio, I know for a fact, sells citrus to make his living so that he could take on projects that he actually is passionate about. Really? You gotta, we get off mic, you gotta tell me. Oh, obviously. We'll tell you, Brett. (laughs) But yeah, he was, he was doing movies that, that were not things that he was necessarily proud of because he won that paycheck and now he realized, why don't I just make money in a different way so I could actually focus and make this my passion. And honestly, his work has been... initials PS? No. No. Okay. We're not doing the initials. We're not doing the initials. Oh, if you want to name drop, I see... This lady almost every day. Do lately. it. Who? Who? Marie Kondo. Oh, yeah, she I've is in Ohio. Marie Kondo. That's she's right. lovely. That's she right. has this um, new show. I think she's only got like four or five episodes, uh-huh. but where she does a makeover of small business people. Oh, really? Hi. But she goes Marie. like into their into their lives in a way that it's like here they're thinking, oh, my business is so cluttered and I can't figure where to keep the receipts and everything else. And she's like, she goes into their homes and it's yeah. like, this is your environment. This is your environment. Don't worry about that stuff. You take care of your knitting first and all, everything else will fall into place. And it's like a very psychological transformation Aww. that takes place. Well, but what's really cool about this is all the B-roll stuff and the pickup shots are just like this love letter to Ojai with the light coming through the it's in orchards. And well, the, the pickup, she doesn't, the show is mostly Los Angeles, yeah. but right. the pickup shots of her in her home with her kids, and she's pregnant now, and she's like, oh, she looks like she's about seven or eight years old. She's so adorable, but um, she's just it's a really great show. I admire her because because I visit her website and I've seen her show that she had on Netflix, and I admire that it's not necessarily about the clutter; it's about the energy and the intention behind the objects that you own, and I think it's really beautiful. And if she wants to help out a small business as she famously says she loves mess i got two messy people sitting here right now really ready for marie Kondo? if you're <laughs> yes, listening marie as she is a regular listener <laughs> yeah i don't know about she's that she's great she's yeah cool. she is awesome and her husband's really a wonderful man too. her kids are so cute yeah they're little cherubs they're so cute Okay. Well, I think we're getting up to about an, oh, I wanted to talk about the voices because uh, I see this everywhere, the accents. You guys do not have vocal fry or up talk. I thought that you were implying that we did. No. I, I was think we do why sometimes. Don't. A, a, what is really. vocal fry and up talk? <laughs> you got it. That's <laughs> both of it right there. Okay. We were talking about this topic because I was very confused. And I would say that when we're doing a bit on the show and we really want to make sure people know we're being sarcastic, I get into the Valley Girl Up talk thing where I'm like, yeah, definitely love when that happens. Like, I'll do that sometimes. (laughs) You know, I think because you you were curious about how, you know, culturally accents tend to change, generally speaking, over the years. You said that you know, you look at the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, it all changes, right? And I think it has a lot to do with who is influential at that time. 
And yeah, you look at cultural signifiers. There was that kind of mid-Atlantic accent that was really popular. Like William F. Buckley. Yeah, and that's because all the actors were talking in that mid-Atlantic way where they, they spoke a certain way. Now, unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, however you decide to look at them, we are, mine and Stephanie's generation comes from our teenage years were consumed by Kardashian-like people who have that Which kind of vocal fry. vocal fry. And, and so, the uptalk. And the uptalk, and I think that that's where it, it all stems from. Maybe uptalk comes more from like the 90s with things like Saved by the Bell and Clueless and things like that. Yeah. You know, so I think that it, it, media has a cultural impact on the way people communicate. We need James Cagney back. You know, top of the world, ma. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, dirty see? cuppers. Hey, see? Yeah. yeah I would like that guy too. over here. Could you imagine having a conversation like that? I, I would like to. I think that we should have just, let's, you know, let's take this podcast from the top. Let's delete all this and let's start over and just talk like that, shall you? I yeah. would not have anything else to say, but yeah. ah, see? You sound kind uh, of like Mae West a little bit over there. Mae West, one yeah. of my favorite characters. Yeah. Amazing. It's always that well, she she's I don't know. She says the funniest things. I don't know. Well, there was one movie, George Raft. Well, here's a great Mae West story if you guys got a moment. I do. We're I here. always We're have here a moment for you. I, love, I got lots of stories. It's about, you know. But Mae West got twenty grand to star in this movie back in whatever. She was thirty nine years old. She was plump. She was everything we didn't want <laughs> okay. in Hollywood. We didn't want. She Same. was like complete. This is the age of you know just coming out of the flapper era, and the girls were sticks and androgynous, uh-huh. and she was very curvy and swervy, and she was in this movie. Uh, what was the name of it? I can't remember, but it was George Raft in there who was like the big gangster star of the era. Yeah, and she. You know, was getting through it, and there was she was being kind of difficult, and she was changing the lines around, and it was her birthday, her 39th birthday, is why I remember. And the studio chief bought her dinner to try to, you know, get her to calm down and yeah. just let it go, just stick with the script and all that. And she sat down and handed him the check for the 20 grand and said, "I'm going back to New York. I'm going back to Broadway. This isn't working for me." Good for her. So they were like, okay, you know, they realized they had to get her back in. So they let her change the lines and it was like made the movie, which was a really shitty movie. It made it good. She's hilarious. That's awesome. She's a genius. One of the lines was she was checking in her coat and the coat rack girl goes, oh my God, look at those diamonds. And she goes, oh God, I had nothing to do with it. Cute. I, you know, she's she's so clever and she's no, also it was oh goodness, look at those diamonds. And she says, Dear goodness had nothing to do with it. She's the she is a master class of innuendo. And I think that it's she's she yeah, she's amazing. I love her. She always says things like, a hard man is good to find. Like she yeah. just says like things like that. Like so and this is uh during the Hays Code when they had to be really careful about that. Not she her, was the she highest, is. second highest paid person in America. In some portion of the 1930s. Yeah. That's amazing. I fucking love Mae West. Incredible. Yeah, she's a really (laughs) iconic. Iconic. We don't really have anybody like that now, do we? We don't have movie stars that are are situated in the culture in such a prominent way. They're still flattened out. Yeah. Well, it's just also, it's the... The gates have been, like, kicked wide open with all these streaming services and the amount of channels. Like, it's not the media isn't funneled in the same way, if that makes sense. Like yes. Mae West was so popular because it was like, what, five movies came out that year? I'm joking, but you know what I mean? Like <laughs> she was yeah. wildly different. Now it's hard to kind of stand break, out, break the mold without, it's hard to break the mold these days. Yeah. I think there's a moment. I think it's like, there's just so much saturation of media that people's attentions can't keep up. It's impossible. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I do too. I think it's I, <laughs> I just love it. endless opportunities to watch great TV. Yes, truly, truly. So um, let's sign off now. Do you have anything clever to say? Uh, nothing hey, clever, go. but Never this was three, go. awesome experience hanging out with you today, Brett. And we really appreciate you bringing us on. We appreciate well, you bringing you. us on, and we appreciate what you bring to the community as well. And if and if you want, you know, the listener, if you want to listen to us, we're at Topa Talk. Which you could search 
on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Our Instagram is Topa Talk if you want to check it out. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for when the kids are in the car. Yeah, listening. this is a very cleaned up version. This is, I told Steph before this interview, let's go behavior. PG. We are on our best yeah, behavior. Yeah, and then you dropped a couple bombs anyways. PG, PG. <laughs> I didn't say G. All right, G's. <laughs> Just thinking out loud. Aside from the juicy hot takes on pop culture, Stephanie and Cody touched on many important issues. One comment in particular that lingered with me was the controversy surrounding J.K. Rowling's injudicious remarks about trans issues. As Cody said, it was very disheartening to hear the ignorance and disregard coming from the very same person who created this richly imagined world in which all the misfits and outcasts could feel at home. There's a corollary about Frederick the Great, whom we mentioned as an example of someone who was effeminate and artistically sensitive in a brutally masculine world, and who not only survived, but thrived. One reason we don't hear much about old Fritz, as his soldiers affectionately called him, is because Hitler praised him lavishly as the embodiment of the philosopher king, successful on the battlefield and successful in creating a uniquely German culture. He's been shadow banned in essence. I think it's high time to bring him back into the cultural fold because of the very same reason. He created a vibrant court full of the best enlightenment thinkers, Voltaire among them, musicians and performing artists. He himself was a championed flute player, creating a safe haven for all of Europe's misfits and outcasts. If we can no longer have Hogwarts in the 21st century, we can have Berlin and Potsdam in the 18th century. Well, that's it for this episode of Ohio Talk of the Town. We'll keep an ear out for you.